the liturgy today <clears throat> reinforces the notion that we really are back into ordinary time after completing the Advent Christmas cycle. I say that because we are using now and will be during ordinary time this year, with some exceptions, the Gospel according to Mark. And last week we had virtually the same calling stories of Peter and Andrew, probably more pop properly said, Andrew than Peter, but that came from the Gospel of John. And it didn't look anything like the story today. Here Jesus is walking along the shore of Lake Galilee. In John's Gospel, they were called uh, because of the reference that uh, John the Baptist made uh, about Jesus, and they went and followed him. Uh, altogether different story, uh, the same outcome. But now, uh, this one will be very consistent with the Gospel of Mark and stay that way, except for Advent and Lent, and then another five weeks in the summertime. We'll talk about that later. What's the, big, what's the big deal about all this? Well, we have to understand a little bit about the Gospel of Mark in, in particular. If we're going to be listening to it every week, this is a good time to get that out of the way. It's the shortest of the four Gospels, and undoubtedly the, uh, the first one to be written down in its final form. And some people dispute that, but if you wonder about that, look at the, their credentials. Let's say that's enough about that. Probably the first of the four Gospels to be written down. Didn't have anything to do with the infancy narratives. We're only in chapter 1, and we're up to verse 20 of chapter 1. So there was no uh, Bethlehem, no uh, Magi, no shepherds, no gifts, nothing about the birth of the Messiah. Rather, John, is, or the Gospel writer Mark, wants to get right down to the business. So here in chapter 1, when he calls Peter and Andrew, there's not a whole lot of discussion. Last week when we heard the story, uh, Jesus, they, they said, where do you live? And he said, well, come follow me. And uh, presuming maybe it might have been the Sabbath, it doesn't say that. They ended up staying the whole day with Jesus. Here there was no discussion of the benefits, the retirement package, the uh, insurance program, uh, the living quarters. It was, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they did. Imagine. Uh, just like that, they made a life-changing decision. <clears throat> That's according to the way Mark looked at it. And then on down the trail a little bit farther along the coast, he runs into probably some of their competitors, the Zebedee boys, James and John. And they don't even get that explanation of being now fishers of men, come follow me, bang, that was it. 
and it says, here's old man Zebedee standing there in his boat and his two superintendents have left with no explanation, his own sons, and he's left with the hired hands. And that's all there is to it. Do you get the impression that Mark's gospel <clears throat> is moving here with not a whole lot of detail, but a great sense of urgency? I doubt if any of you will do this, but if only one of you does, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Reading the gospel according to Mark, and as I say, it is the shortest one. If you sat down and read it all in one sitting, uh, at the end you feel like you have a sense of claustrophobia. This gospel moves and the crowd is <clears throat> always pressing in on Jesus. And if you identify with him and his intentions and his, uh, his message, you feel like you're totally exhausted. There's hardly any resting place along the line. And the crowds are always there pressing in on him. Whereas Luke's gospel, lots of time for lots of parables, the journey to Jerusalem, nothing really, really pressing, nothing that urgent. But here we are, uh, he's already been to the Jordan, been baptized by John, the heavens open, he, uh, he fasts in the desert, he performs signs and wonders, healing a leper, and uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God and now calling the first four disciples. And we're only up to verse 20. <clears throat> That's about a half a page if you were reading it in a novel form. Wouldn't you say that Mark <clears throat> wants to convey for us kind of a sense of urgency about proclaiming the kingdom of God? And the next several weeks, up until <clears throat> Ash Wednesday, we're going to be revisiting, in a kind of a serial form, the Gospel of Mark. So if you understand just those few little principles, it helps us understand uh, reading that Gospel or having it proclaimed to us week after week, helps us understand, wow, this is, this is different. So this is what we are left with. It's, uh, it, the gospel has its own certain characteristics there. <clears throat> if we understand them, they can be very, very uh, pleasing to us and helps us get a, a good grasp on the first of the four uh, gospels that were finally put down in print. And they say that the Gospels, uh, even though they're all different, they all had a common denominator that they didn't begin at the beginning. Like the song says, we begin at the beginning, a very good place to start. Go, Ray, me. That's not the way this goes. The Gospels 
were probably begun at the ending, beginning with the passion and the death narratives. And then later on, and, and that was taken from the, uh, you might call it the campfire version, the stories that people told over and over again until they got stylized and then finally written down. And then later on, they added all the stories of the ministry of Jesus. And then finally, Matthew and Luke added the infancy narratives because they had a lot to work with at that time. By and far, hands down, the Gospels begin with the passion, death, and resurrection of the Lord. That seems to them <clears throat> to be the real kernel of the faith. Now we're filling it in, we're filling in the rest of the blanks. Most, most interesting. So today, the proclamation of the kingdom is right there. Uh, repent, repent and believe in the kingdom of God. That's very powerful, we understand it. But the kingdom of God being present and not something that we don't have to be attentive to because it's gonna happen afterward long dead and gone. That's not the way Jesus understands the kingdom of God by any stretch of the imagination. He's, he's saying it is so near at hand, we need to repent and and look at our lives. That was the first message. The second one is now, uh, follow me. For Peter, Andrew, James, and John, that was a change in their whole lives. For us, it's an invitation to, lead, to live also in discipleship. And so our conversion may be more of a life or less of a lifetime, no, more of a lifetime conversion. In other words, it's going on in a continuing conversion mode. Whereas Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they got hit with a ton of bricks all at once. Be interesting to hear them in their first evening around the campfire uh, the four fishermen and Jesus, you know, beginning a whole new life. Now you're gonna have to do this different. You're gonna have to do that different. Our call to discipleship uh, is modeled a little bit differently. A couple other things. Uh, you'll see the little shrine over here with the Bible opened up, the two candles. That didn't just happen. Uh, that was placed there because Pope Francis has urged us to uh, be more attentive to the Word of God, especially beginning uh, with this weekend. So that's there with the Word of God open for us. And I took a, took a little stick and put it in there. It's open to the book of Isaiah, but uh, I put the yellow sticker in there. That's where it begins. Isaiah is trying to impress people. The same thing as Pope Francis is doing. Uh, be attentive to the Word of God. Then he gives a little explanation of the power 
of the Word of God. It's like the rain that comes down and it doesn't return to the Lord until it has dampened the earth. And that's the way the Word of God is. If you get in the way of the Word of God, let it come to you, it will be as effective as the rain that dampens the earth. It won't return to the Lord empty. That's the message <clears throat> in a little nutshell. And then returning finally to the first reading <clears throat> from the book of Jonah. Most of us remember Jonah and the story of being swallowed by the whale, a mythical story, but certainly a story that's very, very important that Jonah was called and there's no way he's going to get out of the call, even if it takes a whale to swallow him up and then go belch him out where he's supposed to be going. Uh, kind of enchanting. Some people take exception to it because, well, that can't happen. Well, uh, that's not quite the right approach. Of course it's a mythical story, but it has a point. Adam and Eve is the same thing. But I don't believe that. We better believe it. Uh, not as a historical event, but as a sacred event explaining our beginnings and our destinies. Now, <clears throat> we got Jonah. He finally gets to the city of Nineveh. And I've already been asked a couple times. Nineveh, it took three days to walk through it. I could walk through New York City in one day. That's a big city. So what's this all about? It's a hyperbole. It's saying this is a big city. It takes three days to get around it. It's kind of like a fish story, but there's a point to it. My fish was that big. What, this big or that big? Uh, that's the fisherman. Peter and Andrew, James and John. Anyhow, uh, what's the point here? City, the whole city is being called to conversion. And then it refers to sitting in sackcloth, and then sackcloth and ashes. That was a term to indicate the whole city was turning toward God's will. To the point of uh, changing God changing God's own mind. That can't happen. Look, try to understand the story. The conversion of the people turning away from sin and turning toward the will of God. So powerful that that was expressed in uh, God changing God's very own mind. Hard to, hard to fathom that. That's the importance of the story. It also relates a little bit to an upcoming event called Ash Wednesday, coming up in February, a little bit early this year, and <clears throat> it might look a little bit different. Uh, we get a, uh, a direction from Rome, which isn't just Rome. This is called the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Sacraments, meaning 
these are the people who uh, initiate directives, sometimes changes in our worship. Because of the pandemic this year, they're advising us that instead of wearing a cross imposed on our forehead, that ashes are going to be blessed and then sprinkled over our heads, minimizing the dangers involved with very close contact. Now that'll be interesting to watch that play out, but you, you got the inside story. And if you read the Catholic moment this week, you already knew it before I told you. So uh, there it is. It'll be a little bit different in our interpretation of ashes, but the intention is the same, that we are called to repentance, we are called to deeper ongoing conversion. Not by smearing our faces, but a little sprinkling of ashes over our heads. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. So 